Well, today is a little bit of a sad day for me. Not really. I say that because uh, the 2020 Summer Olympics are coming to an end. Uh, of course, these the 2020 Olympics are being held in 2021, but they're coming to an end today. In fact, I think they're over. Uh, I think the, the closing ceremony was this morning for us, which is tonight in, in uh, uh, where they're being held in Japan. And uh, I love watching the Summer Olympics, especially the track and field events. I love watching um, the races. Uh, although I have to say, this was not one of the U.S.'s best Olympic showings in track and field. It wasn't one of the best showings in other areas, too, but uh, specifically in the area of track and field, which is what I really like to watch. Um, there were some rather embarrassing moments. One big embarrassing moment happened this week in the, in the men's 4 by 100 relay. Uh, even though the U.S. had some of the fastest men in the world on their team, they didn't even, qual they didn't even qualify for the finals. They came in sixth in their heat. And so I've got a picture I want you to see. This picture will show us some of the problems they had. And you can see, uh, why don't we just, yeah, turn off the lights a little bit. So uh, you can see that they have a problem with the uh, exchange. And you can't really tell, but the baton is right here. And his hand is up there grabbing his jersey. I mean, guys, this is the Olympics, right? <laughs> Uh, th these are the best of the best, and uh, they didn't manage that. I mean, I mean, you lose, you know, just a split second. I mean, that's that's enough. You're not gonna win, and and so it it was just embarrassing for our country. In fact, some of you may remember Carl Lewis, who who was a decorated runner for the U.S. from you know back in the '80s, and uh, he got on Twitter. He was very upset, and he said this on Twitter: "The U.S. team did everything wrong in the men's relay." The passing system is wrong. Athletes running the wrong legs. Not on the wrong legs, just the wrong legs. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? And it was clear there was no leadership. It was a total embarrassment and completely unacceptable for a USA team to look worse than the, a than the AAU kids I saw. And, you know, I mean, he's not wrong. Michael Johnson, another uh, runner, former runner with lots of gold medals for the U.S., also... Uh, had something to say about this. And so what's interesting is when they asked the runners, I mean, obviously they're going to be interviewed, and they asked them, so what happened? Uh, certainly the whole race, but also what happened with this exchange in particular? And uh, they both said, well, because they asked them, how, how much did you practice? And one of them said, well, you know, I, I don't know. He didn't want to answer. The guy, other guy said, not much. Somebody else said they practiced this twice. Twice. Now, granted, they're not really selected until like the month before uh, they go to the Olympics, you know, but they didn't, they were saying we just weren't prepared. They, they never gelled. They weren't prepared. They only practiced that two times. And you think, well, let's just a handoff. Yeah, but when they're coming, you know, as fast as they run and the other guy's trying to take off. I know if you've ever done this, you know, it's, it's tricky and you can't do this without preparation. Well, today we're starting a three-part series, and I've titled this Ready, Set, Wait, How to Prepare for Greatness. And greatness means to be above average or to be distinguished, to distinguish yourself from, from others, from normality, I guess would be another way to say that. And I believe that God is calling us to greatness. 
In fact, the only time that I remember in Scripture that, that um, God called a man great, and, and he, he recognized people's faith on other occasions and said, great is your faith. And, but uh, when it came to John the Baptist, Jesus said something interesting about him. He said, among uh, everybody born of women, there is not a greater man, not a greater man has been born of women than John the Baptist. So I believe God is calling us to greatness. That, that doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to conquer the world and, and be world-renowned. We may never be known on the world stage, but we can be great followers of Jesus, even in the small things. Uh, we can be great spouses, a great husband. You can be a great husband. You can be a great wife. You can be a great parent. You can be a great worker at your job. You can be a great church member. You can be a great follower of Christ. But how do we get to be great, or how do we do great things for God? I mean, and that's a, a great question, right? Pun intended. That's a great question. If God has called you to do something great for Him, maybe there's something in particular. There are people that, that, that maybe feel called to write a book. I'm going to write a book, and, and I feel God is leading me to this. Or maybe somebody's saying, you know, I, I'm going to go minister, establish a ministry to these people or these children or whatever. And maybe God is calling them to do something great. Or maybe you just, in, in your circle of influence, you want to be a great person. You want to be a great dad to your kids. How do you get there? How do you get started? How do you get to greatness in God's eyes? Well, let me say, first of all, that God's call will always lead you out of your comfort zone. God's call will always lead you into new, unfamiliar territory. God's call will always require more of you than what you're giving right now. If God is calling you to, to go beyond where you are now, then obviously that's, that's out of your comfort zone. That's into something new. And so it's more than what you're giving now. It's more than what you're doing now. So greatness starts with understanding that the status quo is not enough. Just staying where you are and doing more of the same thing will not lead you to greatness. You will need to develop spiritually you need to develop personally you need some personal growth some spiritual growth some some growth in skills or whatever might be necessary you'll need to develop more trust you'll need to develop uh, and learn new skills and spend time in preparation i'm taking uh, an online course right now to learn to do something that i've wanted to do but i haven't you know i don't know how to do and uh, it's a new skill, and I really wrestled with this. I talked to my wife about it, because uh, it's not free either. But I, I thought, you know, this is something I, I like, and I, I want to learn to do this. Um, it would have been easy for me to say, you know, I, I'm in my 60s. I, I don't need to learn any new skills, but I want to learn new skills. You don't grow unless you learn new skills. You don't develop, and you don't become great unless you're always learning. Now, looking through the Bible, we see that every time God called a man or a woman to do something, they went through a process of preparation. Now, we don't like preparation very much. We don't like it very much because preparation isn't always fun. We, you know, the, we're talking about the, you know, school year starting back up here this month, and and uh, some some kids that's. That's just their understanding. I hate school. I had a, a student when I was doing some tutoring in the past few years. Uh, I had some uh, 
I had a student, young lady, and these were kids that most of them were from Mexico. I was working as an ELL tutor. And uh, she would say, ay, está bien aburrido. She said, it's so boring. And I would say to her, vale, me que quieres una fiesta cada día. You want to party every day or what? You know, you, you just got to, you know, roll up your sleeves and, and get to work. Because preparation isn't always fun. And school is preparation, right? Have you ever heard a student say, why do I have to learn this? Why do I have to learn? How am I going to use this? And teachers say, well, we're getting ready. You're in, you're in elementary school. We're getting you ready for uh, for middle school. Then in middle school, why do I have to do this? We're getting you ready for high school. Then in high school, why do I have to learn algebra? I'm never going to use this. We're getting ready, getting you ready for college or for life or whatever it might be. Preparation isn't always fun, but preparation is important because preparation is what you do before you do what you really want to do. Preparation is what you do before you do what you really want to do. So there's some area of greatness you want to achieve, then there's going to have to be a time of preparation where you go through, through that growing process. Now, I've noticed a pattern over the years, and this pattern goes way back to my life. You know, I saw this in my life, and I see this still, that people think they are ready before they really are. That's just human nature, right? You think, kids think they're ready to drive before they really are. Or uh, kids think, teenagers think they're ready to date before they really are ready to date, right? And the parents say, no, not till you're 30 or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever joke the dad always says, you know. Or, or maybe at your job, you think you're ready to be the boss and run the business better than the current boss long before you really are ready to take the lead and to be the boss. Or maybe you think you're ready to move out and live on your own before you're anywhere near being ready uh, to take on that responsibility. Or you think you're ready for marriage long before you're ready for marriage. My wife and I celebrated 39 years of wedded bliss yesterday. 39 year, our 39th anniversary yesterday. Thank you. Thank you. So we went out to eat. Uh, and uh, got dressed up and went out to have a nice meal last night. It was very enjoyable. And, we, and I told my wife, it's time for us to start talking about our 40th anniversary celebration and trip. So we're going to take a trip somewhere, God willing. And if the creek don't rise, I think that's how the saying goes. Um, so, but, uh, you know, we, we got married. We we're, were both 23 years old. We got married. And uh, after a few years of being married, we, we talked about it. And we were like, why were we in such a hurry to get married? I mean, we're happily married, you know, we're blessed. But after a few years of being married, like, why did we think we had to do it right then? And I, I did. I thought, man, we got to get married now. I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, so a lot of times you think you're ready for marriage before you are. And I don't know that we were, but my, I remember my pastor, the one who married us that we went to see last week and said, well, I don't know if you're adventurous, but marriage is an adventure. <laughs> yeah, it is. Definitely. But once we know what, what we think, or once, once we think we know what we want to do, what God is calling us to do, we usually want to do it right away. I want to do it now. I want to be great now. But what happens if you skip the preparation process? Well, things don't go well. You fail because you didn't develop the character. You didn't develop the skills or the knowledge or the trust, just the maturity that is necessary to get there. You skipped a very important step. And when you get impatient and you're not willing to take the time 
to prepare, then things usually don't go well. Right? How many of you eat your food without preparing it first? Now you prepare it or you pay somebody to prepare it if you go out to eat. You don't want house guests if you're not ready for house guests, right? You know the, you know the, the process. You, you're going to hire, maybe hire somebody, the merry maids or somebody, I don't know, to come clean your house. But first, got to clean your house to get ready for the merry maids to get there to clean your house. Isn't that the way it works? Right? And you sure wouldn't let your preschooler behind the steering wheel of your car, right? Obviously, he's not prepared or she's not prepared. So we accept the need for preparation in those things. But when it comes to God and, and His preparation process in our lives, we often struggle. We want ready, set, go. Right? Or in, in track and field, is on your mark, get set, go. And often with God, it's not ready, set, go, but it's ready, set, wait. And prepare. Wait and grow. Right? So I'm talking about preparation, getting ready to do what God has called us to do. Now there's some specific things to our call, whatever it is that you feel called to do. If you're going to be a writer, for example, then your preparation is going to be different than if you, if you feel called to be a missionary. If you're going to be a teacher, you, your preparation is going to be different than if you uh, feel called to be an electrician or some other trade. So I'm not going to talk about specific things. Instead, I'm going to talk about all the general things that we need to accomplish that we need in order to be prepared to accomplish God's plan and purpose for our lives. So in this series, we're going to, and I'm still doing the, you know, giving you the reason why we're doing this series. And we're going to talk about three different preparation principles, things that you need to know if you ever want to fulfill God's plan and purpose. Now, if you're thinking, well, I don't know what God is calling me to do. I'm just kind of here. But I don't want you to feel like, uh, like, there's nothing for you. If you don't really feel a sense of direction yet, that's fine. You're not going to be left out because these principles of preparation, I believe, apply to everyone, to all of us. Even if you don't know what God has for you. Maybe you're young and you don't know yet what God has for you as an adult. Maybe as an adult, you're maybe facing a, a, a career change or maybe not something that drastic. But in your own life, you just want to achieve greatness, as I said in the role that you're, or the, in the roles that you're serving in your family and at, with your friends, whomever, then uh, there are still there's still something for you. You can even now begin to start preparing for God's plan, even if you don't know what it is yet. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Joshua. Uh, in the Old Testament, Joshua was a great heroic leader. He's he's a leader who accomplished what Moses, who was a great leader was not able to accomplish. He led the Israelites out of the desert and into the promised land. So we're going to learn by looking at Joshua before he became a leader, before he became the great leader that he was. Okay, so in case this is new to any of you, let me give you the basic story. Now, it'll take just a couple of minutes to give you the basic story. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt? Okay, Prince is a great movie, isn't it? So uh, this is uh, the the the... Prince of Egypt tells some of this story. The nation of Israel was held captive by the Egyptians. And so God sent Moses to lead the Israelites out of uh, captivity. It wasn't easy, but Pharaoh, you know, the, the leader of the, of the Egyptians, finally let them go. 
But then he changed his mind and he went after them. He sent his army to recapture the Israelites. On the banks of the Red Sea, God performed an amazing miracle to save his people once again. But then instead of entering into the promised land, the Israelites ended up spending 40 years wandering around in the desert. 40 years. They were lost. Not only were they lost, which is bad enough, right? Not only were they lost, but their enemies, they had en enemies throughout this land they're, they're, where they're, they're wandering around. And their enemies were trying to destroy them. So you can imagine the pressure. Now Moses was a leader who had led them out of Egypt, but then God didn't allow him to lead them into the promised land. And so Joshua then became the leader that ultimately took them into the promised land. Now what we're going to look at today from Exodus 17 happens before Joshua even knew he was going to be Moses' successor. He had no idea at this point. We have no reason to believe that he, he knew that he was going to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. This is a time in which God is molding him. He's shaping him. He's preparing Joshua for an assignment that God had not revealed to him yet. He didn't know what was coming. Now, many of you will have heard of this, the story of this famous battle, but uh, I want us to look at it a perspective that maybe you hadn't seen. So, Exodus 17, Exodus 17, beginning with verse 8. Now, this is the first time, this is the first time that Joshua is mentioned in Scripture. Moses is almost 100 years old. How many of you know that's pretty old? Right? So because he was almost 100, his days of fighting are over. My, my wife and I talk about our, you know, our marriage, and we were, did a lot of reminiscing. When we, went in, we were in Corpus last week, we drove by the church, we got married, and you know, we just we did a lot of reminiscing. And, uh, and then this week, and yesterday in particular, and, uh, but you know, we talk about, well, things that have changed for us, uh, just because we're older. And, and I told her, she said, you know, our days of eating everything we wanted to are over. Our, our days of eating late night snacks, which is more like a full meal sometimes, you know, those days are over. There are certain things that happen when you reach a certain age, right? So Moses' days of fighting were gone. They're over. So he assigns Joshua his first leadership assignment. In Exodus 17, 8, you read this. The Amalekites, who were one of uh, Israel's enemies, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Okay, so here's the picture then. Joshua and his, and his men are down in the valley fighting against the Amalekites. Moses is not able to go into the battlefield, but he still has a very important role to play. He's standing on the hill. He's overlooking the battle, and he's holding his staff in his hands. Now, as long as Moses holds up his hands, holds up the staff in his hands, the Israelites are winning the battle. But when his arms got tired and he put his hands down to rest, then the Amalekites would begin to win 
the battle. So what's the point of uh, Moses holding up his arms? What do you think the point of that is? Was, was God trying to test his endurance? Why did, why did that happen? Uh, are we supposed to come to church every time we come for a gathering? Are we supposed to hold our hands in the air the whole time? Or when you go to work and, and you want God's blessing and, you know, God's uh, power to be displayed at your job, are you supposed to like walk around with your hands in the air? You know, what's the point of that? If, if, we, are on, if we are in a battle, in a spiritual battle, are we supposed to climb to the highest you know, level? We get on, on the roof of your house with your hands up? I mean, what is this about? Well, I, I think we all understand this is not really about standing on a hill uh, with our arms in the air. But we have to understand that Moses wasn't just standing there with his hands in the air, but he was, as he was holding up his hands, his arms, uh, his arms, um, scholars, and this is not this is not stated explicitly in Scripture, but scholars believe, and I agree, that he was praying. How do we know this? Well, because in the Scriptures, hands in an upraised position is a gesture that is, uh, or a posture that is associated with prayer. And, I mean, there are many reasons. We're not going to go into every reason uh, why we think this is so. Uh, I, I read some commentaries who said, well, no, he wasn't praying. He, he was just, that, him holding his hands up was just his way of believing that God was on their side. Okay, well, don't call it prayer, you know, but, I mean, what is it if it's not prayer? If you're not, you know, asking, you're not demanding God, you're not tricking God. Okay, God, I'm going to trick you. I'm going to trick or tell somebody, I'm going to trick God. I'm going to hold my hands up so God will give us a victory. Uh, so there had to have been a, uh, a connection with prayer. And as long as Moses stayed focused in his prayers or on his prayers, the Israelites kept winning. Every time the praying stopped and the battle turned against them. Now look at the next verse and uh, look at Exodus 7, 17, 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Okay, so now instead of standing with his hands in the air, then he's now sitting with his hands in the air, which is good because, again, he's an old man. He gets to sit down, but that doesn't help the fact that his arms get tired. I mean, our arms get tired when they're up in the air for a long time. You know that, right? And, uh, and keeping your hands up for a long time, your arms up, can be excruciating, excruciatingly painful. And so then Aaron and her step up to hold up his hands so that he can continue in his posture of prayer. So now instead of standing with his hands up, he's sitting on a rock. He still has his hands up because Aaron and her, which, by the way, are older than Moses, Aaron and her are holding up his hands. Everyone is doing their part. Moses is praying. Joshua is fighting. He's leading the men. He's, he's leading the fighting. And Aaron and her are standing with him in prayer, holding up his hands. Right? The young guy's fighting. The older guys are watching the battle, interceding, praying for the, for the young men to defeat the enemy. And I wonder if in the middle of the battle, when, when the fighting got really fierce, I wonder, did, Joe's, did Joshua rather ever, ever look up and, and see Moses with his hands up and Aaron and her 
holding up his, his hands, his arms. Did he, did he notice that? Uh, maybe he did. I mean, and, and if, if so, how encouraging do you think that must have been to know that he wasn't alone, that somebody, you know, the man that he looked up to, the man that he had been serving and was continuing to serve was up there interceding for him. And so that must have encouraged him. It would have encouraged me. That might have, you know, gotten him to think, you know, I, I can't quit. Because remember, there were times where they were losing against the Amalekites. But he, he must have thought, he might have thought, I, I, I'm not just fighting for me. I'm fighting for Moses and the older generation. And I'm fighting for my generation. They're, they're praying for me. I, I, I can't quit. I can't give up. Uh, I can't let them down. So uh, regardless, we read in verse 13 that Joshua overcame the Amalekite with the sword. He overcame the Amalekite with a sword. Now, as I read and reflect on this story, I, I see a lesson that I think Joshua learned that is a powerful preparation principle for us. So let me ask you this question. Who won the battle over the Amalekites? Was it Joshua because he was fighting hand-to-hand -hand combat? Was it Moses because he prayed? Was it uh, Aaron and Hur because they held up Moses' hand? Who's doing the most work? Who's the most important here? Well, by himself, Joshua couldn't have won the, the, the battle. Uh, we don't know how many men he had or how many Malachites there were. We don't know any of those details, uh, but we know that, that uh, Joshua couldn't have done it by himself. He was still young. He was capable, but he was still young. And without the prayer support of the older generation, then the battle, I don't believe, would have been won. I think that's something we can clearly infer from this passage. Even though Joshua was in the front line, he couldn't do it alone. And so this is today's preparation principle to remember. It's this, I, can, I can't accomplish God's plan without God's power. I think that in his first battle, this is something that Joshua must have figured out pretty, pretty quickly. I can't accomplish God's plan without God's power. Now, Joshua could have said, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm winning. I'm defeating the enemy. I'm a great leader. I hope Moses is watching me. I hope he's taking notes. I hope they're talking about me up there. Why don't you see what Joshua did there? I'm a great leader. I'm a great fighter. I'm the man. But Joshua, we, you know, we don't have an indication he thought that. I think you realize this is not just me doing great things this is God's power, and, and this is a team victory. How important is, is that? How important is prayer? How important is intercession? Well, in this case, it was a difference between victory and defeat. And that's not true just in this case, but in every case. Because you may be strong, you may be intelligent, you may be resourceful, you may be clever, you might be witty, you might be a great speaker, great teacher, wonderful singer, you might be a great leader. But without God, that does not make a difference. All that without God doesn't lead to greatness. It won't allow you to accomplish what God has called you to do. To accomplish his plan and his purpose. And, and I see this is a classic mistake for young leaders who have great ambitions. I, I've been there myself. I never necessarily didn't necessarily have their huge ambitions, but I had, you know, when I finished college, I, I had my, my plan set up for the next few you know, years of my life. And 
it's gone very different from what I thought it was going to go. But as a young pastor as well, uh, sometimes young leaders think they are the ones that are winning the battle. That's not true. It just happens to be their turn to fight and somebody else's turn to pray for them. So never underestimate the power of prayer or the power of having somebody praying for you, interceding for you. I thank God for people who, who have prayed for me during my years of growth. And now as I you know, continue to grow and lead, I thank God for people who will send me a text or an email or something and say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I need that. I need that prayer. You need people praying for you because you cannot accomplish God's plan without God's power. If you rely on your own strength, you're going you're gonna to fail. But His plan is far bigger than your power, and you need God's power. Now, before you even start trying to do whatever great thing you have in your mind to do, get somebody praying for you. How many of you have had parents or grandparents praying for you? Yeah, that means so much. And I hope you appreciate that. I think you do. Uh, you won't win without prayer support. You'll never accomplish God's plan without God's power. Now, I want to show you something else in this story that I notice about Moses. Think about how hard it must have been for Moses because he's been the man. He's been the leader of this great nation. He's leading millions of people. He's the guy who led them out of Egypt. Think of what that took. He's a man who faced down Pharaoh and he won. Yeah, he's a man who brought or got water from a rock, manna from the sky. He, he took the people of Israel across the, the Red Sea. He's God's man, but now he's old. It's not as strong, and it's a younger man's turn to lead. It's a younger man's turn to fight the battle. And did you notice what Moses didn't do when he was on the hill looking down the battle? He didn't criticize Joshua and say, well, in my day, we used to do it like this. You know, he's not fighting. His fighting technique is all wrong. He didn't criticize Joshua's leadership style. He didn't spend his time talking to Aaron and her about how, you know, giving a commentary how Joshua was doing it wrong and how he's not doing it the way they, that he used to do it when he led the nation. At this point, he was still leading the nation. Uh, he said they were praying, interceding. This 100, almost 100-year-old man never said, we never used to do it that way. We never used to fight that way. Why in the world would he do that? Why is he changing things? He never said that. Didn't second guess Joshua. Folks, think about this. This must have been hard for him. He's not a robot. He's got feelings. He must have said, okay, so he's now going to get all the recognition. But he didn't, he didn't uh, react that way. He didn't yell down instructions. Hey, do it this way. He just watched and he prayed. And it could not have been easy for a great leader. Way too many people, when their days of fighting are over, when their, their days of leadership have started to pass or have passed on to the next generation, instead of praying for the, the younger generation, instead of interceding for them, they start arguing and criticizing how the battle is being, about how the battle is being fought. Instead of fighting the enemy, they start fighting each other. I've seen this happen in churches where instead of fighting against the devil and you know, his attack on God's people, they're fighting against each other in the church. 
because they can't seem to understand that when your days of fighting are over, you can still intercede and, and, and pray for the younger generation. Now, Moses may not have agreed with how Joshua fought. We don't know because Moses wasn't a critic. He wasn't a commentator. We have no clue what he thought, but we do know what he did, and that's pray. He did his part. He prayed. And that's the, the most important part of your preparation to do something great for God or to become someone great for God is to pray, to seek God's direction and power for yourself and as parents, for your children, as grandparents, for your grandchildren. They won't be great unless we pray. And how long should you pray for others? How long should you pray for your children? How long should you pray for your grandchildren? How long should you pray for the church? How long should you pray for yourself? How long should you seek God for yourself and for others? How long did Moses do it? He prayed until the battle was over. Pray until the battle is over. As long as we're in this spiritual battle against the enemy, we must Pray. As long as there is a spiritual battle, we mustn't take shortcuts. If you want to achieve greatness for God, become great followers of Jesus. We want our kids to do great things and to become great followers of Jesus. We must pray until the battle is over. So that's today's lesson that we can't accomplish God's plan without God's power. That means we must pray. We must seek God. And so I want us to commit to doing that today in our response time right now. I just want to ask you to, to reflect on, on your life. It's one thing to say, yeah, I, I trust God, uh, but how do you show it? How do you, how do you show it? How is your prayer life? How is your intercession for your family? And we say this uh, almost every year, I think. I've been saying this for years, over uh, 30 years, when we pray for our kids when they go back to school. I've been saying, parents, no one's going to pray for your kids the way that you can pray for them. You might have, your kids might have Christian teachers who maybe pray for them. But, uh, and, and you, people that, you know, as your pastor, I pray for all you uh, families and for your kids. And I rejoice in your victories. But no one's going to pray for, you, for your children in the way that you and parents, you, you parents rather, can pray for them. So don't drop the ball and pray for yourself. Put yourself in God's hands. You want to do great things. Don't try to do it on your own power. Do it with God's power. Let's bow for prayer. As we begin a, a time of response to God's word, reflect on what God might be calling you to do. And even if you don't know what it is, you can still begin to prepare by counting on God's power. Father, I'm so grateful today, dear Lord, for the opportunity we have to continue to learn from characters in the Bible who were real men, real women. They uh, had real emotions the way that we, we do too. They faced real situations, difficult situations. They weren't perfect, but we can learn from them. And I believe this is why their stories are in the Bible to teach us. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to, to truly learn this preparation principle that we cannot accomplish 
your plan for our lives without your power. Lord, I ask for forgiveness for the times that I've stepped out and started a day on my own without uh, committing the day to you or, or maybe just, uh, just briefly forgetting that everything I have comes from you and everything I want to accomplish. I want to do well in my job. I want to be a good husband and father. All those things cannot be done apart from you. And we're not talking about a superficial relationship or superficial praying, Father. We're talking about a life devoted to prayer. Not a life that dabbles in it, but a life that is devoted to prayer. Intercession, praying for ourselves and for others as well. We need you, Father. We need you in our lives. We need more of your presence. We need more of your Holy Spirit. We need more of your power. Father, help us to grow so our preparation would be full and rich. We have many things to accomplish yet. Many things to accomplish, Father. Continue to prepare. So we need more of your presence. And we seek it today. In Jesus' name.